I'm not a very patient person. I hate waiting for my food to cook. I hate waiting for new seasons of TV shows. I hate having to read the entirety of a book to, before I can find out what happens at the end. But most of all, I hate not knowing where my future will be. Hi, my name is Brooke Barnes. Um, I graduated last semester with a degree in English, and around here I am a small group leader, yeah, <laughs> worship ministry head, and a student intern. I live at the Duncan, and no, not the coffee shop, although I do work at Scooters currently. Um, and this is my first time ever speaking, uh, so here's the obligatory picture of my family. I couldn't resist putting in the oldie. Um, I think this was taken my freshman year, so like the nice one. Um, <laughs> um, yep, so that's me, and then my dad, and then that's my dog, Ollie. He's definitely not that small anymore, at like 70 pounds. And he'll be living with me next year, I'm so excited. <laughs> um, and then my mom, and then my brother, Tanner, who's a sophomore at Missouri S&T, getting a degree in computer engineering, I think. Um, and then there's Parker, he's a junior in high school, and he's also a foot taller now. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, how many of you here have ever tried a fig before? Wow, a lot more than I thought. Um, you know, like the weird looking fruits with the purple on the outside and the red seed filled interior? They look like that? I definitely haven't, so I was just curious. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, yes, so today I'm going to be going through Mark 11, 12 through 25, and I'm really bad with titles, so this is what I got. Figs and other fruit, the non-existent and the new. It's always been hard to be self-aware, but God's here to help. And a practical use of my very expensive college degree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, would you please all stand with me while I read today's scripture? On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, also who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Or oh, you guys can be seated. Now, I know a lot happens in this passage, and a lot of wild stuff at that. Um, we have Jesus cursing a fig tree when it wasn't the season of figs to begin with. We have Jesus entering the temple and throwing tables and calling people out and then leaving. And then we see the tree again, dead, and get a lesson about faith and prayer. 
but it's actually a bit more than that, and we're gonna dive into that a little later, but for now, I'm just gonna teach you all a little bit about fig trees. We're about to become botanists, right? Um, so the way that fig trees work is that when the fruit of the tree is ready um, and produced, the tree also produces leaves as a signal to the outside world that the fruit is ready. So when it is no longer the season, the trees lose all their leaves. Eating one half cup of figs has the same amount of calcium as drinking one half cup of milk. So if you hate drinking milk, as I do, I found your substitute. Um, they have more fiber than prunes and more potassium than bananas. So I get why Jesus would search these out as a source of food. But the fig tree is more than just a snack on the way into Jerusalem for Jesus and the disciples. It has a greater purpose than that. This is when my big girl English degree comes in. The fig tree is a symbol and metaphor for Israel and the Jewish people. The Bible refers to the Jewish people as the fruit on a fig tree many times in the Old Testament. For example, in Hosea 9, verse 10, it says, Like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel. Like the first fruit on the fig tree in its first season, I saw your fathers. Or in Jeremiah 24, verses 5 through 6, where it reads, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Like these good figs, so I will regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I have sent away, from this place to the land of the Chaldeans. I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not pluck them. Why else would Mark place the story of Jesus cleansing the temple in the middle of the story of the, fig, the cursed fig tree? Maybe because it is one big story. Jesus cursed the fig tree because it was showing leaves, which we all know now means that there should have been fruit, but it was deceiving. It was fruitless. And when Jesus arrived at the temple, he saw the same thing. Deception, falsehood, fruitlessness. A flourishing fig tree is supposed to mean a time of prosperity, a time of good wealth, but that's not what stood in front of them. The temple was cursed for the same reasons. It was not producing the fruit of God, and neither were the people inside it. The church stood there, deceptively full of goodness and as a source of a path to God, but at its core, greed and selfishness grew, and it no longer provided for the people of Israel passing by it. In Mark, the cursing and withering of the fig tree is interwoven with Jesus' pronouncing doom on the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus is looking for upright, covenant people and does not find any, so the tree is coming down. By referencing Isaiah 56 in verse 17, he is reminding the people at the temple of its original purpose. The temple was supposed to signify God's dwelling with Israel, that it was supposed to be a place where the nations would be welcome and unexcluded. Jesus was telling them that the temple was under God's judgment and was about to be taken away. In Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 13, it reads, When I would gather them, declares the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree. Even the leaves are withered, and what I gave them has passed away from them. God had promised to bless Israel through the temple, and if Israel began to take it for granted, to use the temple and the promises with it as an excuse to do unjust and immoral things, things such as taking advantage of people to make a profit, then they would be judged. By returning to the tree after visiting the temple, he is reminding his disciples of what he did and how it came to fruition. He encourages his disciples to pray with confidence and faith that the new life would replace the old. Just how this cleansing of the temple will come around again in the future. It is faith in God that gave Jesus the power to curse the fig tree. And it is a similar faith, the faith that allows the disciples to do other wonders. Jesus used healing, teaching, feeding, and loving people to bring them into God's new life. The current ways of the temple, wait, 
sorry. <laughs> Loving people to bring them into God's new life and the current ways of the temple would surely not do. They had given in to false idols. The things that they used to worship God had turned into the things that they worshiped instead. Clean sacrifice animals were sold for way too much and exchange rates for appropriate coinage for offerings were not what they were supposed to be, just to name one example. A couple of summers ago, summer 2020 to be in fact, to be exact, a lot of people were trapped inside their homes, stuck with their thoughts and with social media. It became an outlet of sorts, a way to share their lives and personal stories. And a lot of these stories are about trying to get their sourdough starters to work, or uh, what workouts they were trying at home, or what new shows they were watching. But for some people, they found a space in which to share the ways they were hurt by the Big C Church. For me personally, I saw a lot of videos of people sharing how they felt manipulated, whether that be by the leaders in their community, the lessons they were taught, the environments created, or even worship music, which hit incredibly hard for me because it is so heavily woven into my walk with Christ. I would also see videos of people picketing outside of health facilities, for example, holding up signs with Bible verses while simultaneously yelling slurs and derogatory terms with just plain hatred on their faces. Then I would hear these stories or see these videos and I would start to feel shame. Shame that I shared the same religion as them, that I worshiped the same God. I questioned how something that came out of Jesus' sacrifice could be this bad. It hurt so many people. So I became angry at them, at myself, at God. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house should be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. If we were called to be set apart, to love our neighbors as ourselves, is this really how we are supposed to show that? Is this really the way to share the gospel? Is this what the love of Christ looks like now? Something I love about the Bible is that there are just so many different ways it can be taken. If you're my small group, you know that I love looking at what the different translations say. I appreciate that the word can mean so many different things to so many different people, but is this really what the words meant to them? At this point, I hadn't been to a physical church in months, shout out to COVID, so it was easy for me to separate myself from it. It was easy to say that I could just study the Bible on my own, stay in my own relationship with God, and not associate myself with that part of Christianity. It was in my anger that I turned away from these things. But as you all know, we need church. We need community to help sharpen us and to help hold us accountable in our walk of faith and trusting God and with God. It's hard when you hear stories of corrupt leadership in today's time and can't help but think, is this what you wanted, God? We know that it's not because of many things, but also because of this passage in Mark, because Jesus drove out those not using the temple for good. He has gifted us with the Holy Spirit, with our own ways of being fruitful in the kingdom of God. I have since come to terms with the fact that I can't change anyone's previous experiences with the church or with Christianity. The only things I can control are my own actions. I can ask God and the people around me to hold me accountable and help me act out of kindness and faithfulness and love. It's easy sometimes to find issues or fruitlessness in big organizations or churches, the corruption of the temple, it is always easier to find faults in others than in ourselves. And while we can try to control our own actions, our actions are shaped by what we desire, by what we want in our hearts. 
The accountability and faithfulness can sometimes present themselves at odd times, at least it did for me. And I was forced to ask myself, am I desiring God and to walk with God? Or am I desiring to walk and control my own life? Remember when I said that thing about how I hated not knowing what my future would be? Um, well, when I first came to Truman, I didn't see myself as having any issues, especially when it came to having patience. Um, I had my whole life planned out before me. I was biology, pre-vet, and after attending school here, I was going to attend vet school at Mizzou, shadow under someone I knew from back home, um, and then live on a big ranch in Wyoming with horses, cows, goats, and I would work there until I had enough money saved up that I could write my first novel, wait for that to become a New York Times bestseller, sell the movie rights, and then just live out my days on that ranch. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to just sit around and see what life had in store for me. I was going to carve the path myself. I just couldn't wait for my life to really begin. I was basically telling God, don't worry about me. I've got my future figured out. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. And saying that now, I can almost hear him laughing at me. At my impatience and lack of faith and lack of trust. But during my freshman year, I started getting little hints here and there little reminders of what it was that I actually loved and loved learning about, the written word, both fiction and nonfiction. God reminded me that I loved his word, and so I switched my major over to English, because then I could study that. So I formulated a new plan, get my English degree with a minor in film studies, so that when I graduate, a semester early now, because why wait to graduate, um, I can go to a graduate certificate program in publishing so that I can make connections and get a job and I, where I just get to read books all day. And then I would have an apartment in Chicago with a ranch in Wyoming on the side. <laughs> the thing with these plans, however, is that there was little room left in them for God. Prayer for me at this point was almost non-existent. What did I have to talk to God about? If I talked to him, then he might want to change everything that I've already planned out. I wasn't just going to wait around and see what he had in store for me. That would mess everything up. But how was I supposed to be spending time in the Bible, dedicating my free time to a Christian organization, and not have a relationship with God, with Jesus? It would almost seem fake, a falsehood. I was deceiving myself when I thought that I could go through life on my own, that I bore all the fruit, at least all the fruit that I wanted. What I didn't realize at the time was that Little pockets of people, little pockets of this community were placed in front of me, tearing down my walls and encouraging me to seek out his guidance, his wisdom. I was taught how to have patience when we couldn't all worship together in one space. I was taught how to sit in a room and just listen, let my mind quiet and wait. Forced to acknowledge how we all as a community might have turned our love of worshiping God into a love of the singing environment. I learned to have faith that these hard times would come to pass and that the good I found within it would still be with me on the other side. That these new ways of worship and the lessons taught would carry over. God put me in positions where I was forced to pray, especially in this community, and in those moments I learned the beauty and the necessity of it. Through the deepening of my relationship with Jesus, the man who saw what was not good and came to bring us to the other side of it, I was able to take a step back and wait and listen. Now I don't know exactly what my life will be, but it's hard for me to let, and it's hard for me to let go sometimes,
but I have faith that the opportunities placed in front of me by God are meant to better me and better his kingdom. This is in no way me saying that I am perfect, that I am all fruit bearing and lack nothing. I'm a super impatient person still, especially when it comes to a lot of things. You can ask any of my close friends this, and you can even ask my mom. I'm sure she'll give you a plethora of examples. Um, sometimes I'm not kind. Sometimes I do not act out of love. Sometimes I lack self-control. And sometimes I lack faithfulness. But I'm trying. While I was working on this sermon um, and reading these verses in Mark over and over again, a certain worship song came to mind. Pretty typical. Um, the lyrics in the bridge read, shake up the ground of all my tradition, break down the walls of all my religion. Your way is better, your way is better. It's not necessarily saying that all tradition is bad, nor is it saying that religion is bad, but it is saying that we shouldn't only rely on those things and we should surrender to Christ. Other parts of the song talk about getting rid of our old idolatries and how even sometimes in our quest to do or say the quote unquote right thing, we still often miss the mark. It is in the song that we confess that Jesus's way is better, better for ourselves, better for our church community, and better for our place in the world. And they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, that fig tree that you cursed is withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, also who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Colossians 2 also says this. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Sometimes it is really hard to recognize the times in our lives when we think we are bearing fruit when we actually aren't. I know for me, it took a worldwide pandemic to see it. But I think that it is something to reflect on and to consider how our way compares with Jesus' way. How our walk doesn't always align with Jesus' walk. But that doesn't mean we can't find our way back or that God isn't working on it all in the here and now. God can still make good wherever you are and with whatever you do. I don't have all the answers and I'm definitely still finding my way and learning to be honest with myself and with others, but I'm trying. And I think that's what counts.
Would you all pray with me? God, we know that we are not perfect. We know that anything that we do, it sometimes isn't enough. But we love you, God, and we see that there can be ways in which we can still glorify you, even in the good and even in the hardships. I pray that even in our moments of fruitlessness, in our moments where we tend to look away, that you help guide us back to you, God. That you help us realize our ways in which we are no longer focused on you. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.